Hello and welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us. I hope you enjoy the show. Each year, the construction and demolition industry creates 1.7 million tonnes of waste, making up 60% of total landfill. So much of that waste is recoverable and recyclable and unnecessary in the first place. No one cares more about solving that problem than Dr. Terry ann Berry, Associate Professor of Auckland Unitech and the co-founder of the Environmental Solutions Research Centre. She's also the co-founder of the aptly named Sustainable Construction Avengers. The centre works with students, industry and scientists to tackle waste at its source and solve intractable problems such as the mounting pile of plastic that comes from the construction industry. So, uh, terri thank you so much for joining me on this climate business. Thank you very much, Vincent. Really great to be here and thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure. Just give us a sense of the scale of this problem. I mean, I quoted some statistics there, but how much waste comes from the construction and demolition industry going directly into landfill? Okay, so if you look at it at as all of the waste that's come in from New Zealand, we have about 12.6 million tonnes of waste going to landfill every year. Um, that's not all waste. There are some small waste items that are treated by incineration or other processes. But of that 12.6 million tonnes, we estimate that about 7.4 million tonnes um, comes from construction and demolition. Okay, So that's a huge proportion. Now, the issue with this is that Landfill in New Zealand has got five different classes. Um, class one is our municipal landfill, and that's where all of our domestic waste goes. But we can also put C and D waste in that landfill. Of the other four classes, C and D. Just to interrupt, C and D is construction and demolition. Correct. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Construction yes. and demolition. No, you, so, that's good. And that, you you go ahead and use C and D. Now we know what it means. Feel free to use the jargon. Cool. Thank you. So C&D waste can go in all five types of landfill. And so it's actually quite difficult to get really good, accurate data on how much C&D waste there is. So we know a lot about the class one landfill, which is domestic, um, but we know far, far less about the others. And that, that's one of the government initiatives is to look at the C&D waste that's coming in because we know it's a huge volume. Um, where we're really interested is that C&D waste itself can be quite high value. So things like timber and metals can be recycled um, and they have quite a high value. But there are some uh, waste types that are really not being looked at in any detail. And it's because they're usually quite difficult to recycle, certainly difficult to separate and to keep clean in a condition where we can recycle them or reuse them or resell them. And they're the ones that we're targeting. Um, so we've actually been taking... Um, what has been described by an Auckland waste provider as the other that comes from the skip. So in your skip, you put your timber and your metal and lots of other things that can be recycled quite easily. And then there's an other, and that other just goes to landfill. Um, now, we're really interested in what that was. And when we looked into detail, the other was actually mainly plastic. Mm. Um, and that made us decide, look, we're really keen on finding out what the plastic is. Where is it coming from? What's it being used for? Is it necessary? And if it is necessary, can we reuse it or can we recycle it or even can we resell it? Um, so, yeah, that's compared where I to a, started. Yeah, and compared to a domestic situation, a bin on a construction site is, is a kind of a catch-all, isn't it? You know, I separate at home. We separate our plastics from our food waste, from our 
recyclables from our um, you know general rubbish. But on a building site, right, you have the green gorilla bins or the enviro waste bins, and everything goes in there indiscriminate. Is that right? Yeah. Absolutely. I feel like you almost need to give the construction industry a bit of a break because for the householder, it is relatively easy. I know that there's always the confusion around what goes in what bin, but we're actually given um, bins and we're told this is where you can put stuff and it's taken away. And in the construction industry, the the general approach is they'll have a skip. If they're using a provider like Junk Run or Green Gorilla, then a lot of that will be diverted from landfill. um, And that's great. But otherwise, the whole lot will go into one big skip and the whole skip will go and be taken to landfill. And there's not really the advice or um, the help that's required to actually demonstrate what can be achieved on site. And of course, to be able to do that takes a lot of time and dedication. On any one site, you'd probably need one person dedicated to doing it and managing it. So what we've been doing as a research centre is going to different sites um, and, and teaching, okay, where can this waste go? How do you separate it? What condition does it need to be in to be able to be recycled? Because that's quite important. Um, And what goes where? Um, Mm. So that eventually we would like to have some sort of um, infographic that we could produce so that the construction industry could easily see, oh, we've got this waste. This is where it can go. This is its value. This is what we need to do with it. And that's what we're building to, recognising that the construction industry is huge. It's not just commercial. We've got residential sites. We've got infrastructure. And they're all different. They all operate differently. And they all have different um, barriers to being able to reuse and recycle um, their waste. Before we get to your solution, just tell us about what goes into that bin that can be separated. So you you talked about metals. You talked about materials that could be recycled or upcycled. And then you've got materials that are destined for landfall. But just break that down. Break down the contents of that bin for us a bit. Yeah. So some of the things that I'll talk about the problem ones because they're the really interesting ones. So obviously, um, we can't recycle it in any of the food that's on site. And I know that sounds like a minor amount, but it's actually quite a lot on a construction site. Um, Mm. So the site we're working on at the moment, we've actually asked the council if we can have a recycled bin and they've put one on there so that the bottles can be recycled. Because previously, things like drinking bottles, they just go into the skip. So they go to landfill and they really don't need to. But having the provision of a bin there is really useful. We've got things like polystyrene, lots of polystyrene and polystyrene offcuts, which there's no place for that to go. Um, However, there are companies in New Zealand, in Auckland specifically, that will take and we will recycle polystyrene as long as it's kept clean. So there's another thing. Okay, we need a vessel to be able to keep it separated and clean so that we can recycle or reuse it. And that's quite an important part of that. The problem is with most waste at the moment, it gets what we call commingled. So everything's thrown into one place, which means it's easy to get contaminated with dust and paint and dirt. So mm. some of those materials, we have to be really careful about how we're managing them to be able to for them to be recycled. Um, there was a very cool uh, company called Trowel that takes uh, deconstructed material, doors, windows, timber, steel, and separates it out and um, you know is able to use it for other purposes. Is that is that the same sort of uh, your waste stream that you're talking about? Can that also be a source of materials to be upcycled? Absolutely, absolutely. And love what Trowel's doing. Yeah, absolutely. And we're, we're talking to Trowel about this. So um, they're doing it with um, construction materials, which is fabulous. And they're taking it and reusing them because they recognize the value. Um, we're at the moment focusing on the ones that 
are very rarely reused or recycled. Mm. And again, mm. that, that focus really on the plastic side and the offcut side. Um, and working with both suppliers um, and other members of the construction sector to talk about, well, you know, could you reuse this? What does it what does it need to look like to be able to reuse it? Mm. So very much so. But the the CND waste itself, in terms of things like the, the 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 real valuable materials, Green Gorilla, Junk Run, and a number of the others will actually recycle those for you to a certain extent. What Trow's doing that's really good is that they're actually um, sometimes making a profit from those materials. So rather than mm. seeing it as a waste to be taken away, they're using it um, on the next site, which is which is fabulous. And that's what we would like to do in the long term is find a way so that the construction industry can make a profit from these wastes. And that is part of the incentive. And that for me is part of the key. Mm. So <clears throat> yeah, we're going back to the source. We've got the bin on site. We've got lunch going in there we've got <laughs> valuable metals going in we've got concrete we've got plastic all being co-mingled into this giant bin that then goes off to a facility why is it important that that separation happens on site you know why don't you just throw it into a bin and then go to a facility where then it can be separated into the various waste streams you're talking about educating and working with construction workers and and managers to start separating on site why is that important I think it's really important for certain types of materials um, and it's also really important especially for when we're looking at demolition sites so demolition is a very dirty, very dusty, as you can imagine, environment, but also can be quite a hazardous environment. So we mm. have to be aware of materials such as asbestos that might be within those building materials um, that should be dealt with completely differently. We're, we're not even considering those for recycle or reuse. They have to be kept separate. Um, but nonetheless, the, the dirt and the dust can mean that some of those um, materials will be recycled um, via some processing, if they're not clean, they can't be reprocessed. That hmm. just simply can't happen. So um, I believe What's Green an Gorilla's example of that? Um, so a good example would be things like the building wrap. So you've probably all seen as you drive down the street, you'll see a building and it's all wrapped up in plastic around all sides. Um, and that's there to protect the building whilst they're making, making it weather tight and weatherproof. Now hmm. that plastic wrap um, goes to landfill essentially. At the moment, there's not really much else that can be done with it. However, it can be recycled. Um, we've been speaking to a company called Astron and they are happy to take some of our samples. Um, we're working together on the condition it needs to be in. So if it's got any labels or stickers on it, that stops it from being recycled. It can't go through the rollers without causing problems. If it's dirty or painted, it can't be recycled. So really important that we can go onto site and educate and say, look, you know, fold it, put it in this space, do the best you can to keep the dust, the dirt and the stickers off. If it comes with a sticker in each corner, simply snip them off right at the beginning. And then, mm -hmm. then it can go and be recycled. It's as simple as that. It's not really rocket science, but it is knowledge that isn't necessarily sector wide at the moment. And we're just trying to help out and, and show that it can be done. Mm. How does that go down, those kind of conversations? Because you know what it's like on a construction site. You know, it's uh, it's convenient and probably really cost effective to throw everything in a bin. And so I, I can imagine the objections are really <laughs> practical, right? <laughs> it's really funny you should say that because right at the beginning, yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you, you've got to be in there. You've got to be shown to get your hands dirty and join in with everybody else and, and show that you're willing and, and try and demonstrate the worth. So, I mean, I've always worked with bribery. 
um, and when I go out to site, I'll take the box of ice creams for the lads, and we will have a very um, a very low key. I don't stand and lecture to them. I don't get the PowerPoint out. It's basically <laughs> about me <laughs> showing them what can be done and just trying to use um, sort of visual cues that help people understand the enormity of the issue. So explaining the difference that we can make and what that looks like and why that's important to the environment. So one of the one of the ones that I quite like to use um, is trying to sort of estimate how much plastic waste will come from new housing in Auckland. So mm. uh, it's okay if I if I explain this one to you, Vincent. Please do, yeah. Yep. Okay. So new housing in Auckland, we've we've kind of based um, our numbers on how many dwellings there are in Auckland and what's going to happen in the next 10 years in terms of estimated increases in new homes. Um, now, if you assume that each new house generates about four and a half tonnes of CND waste um, and you estimate how much of that is plastic. Now, most recent data suggesting about 4% is plastic. That's from the Ministry for the Environment. We've estimated how much plastic will be coming every year over the next 10 years in Auckland alone um, if the building rate is what we think it will be. And it's somewhere between two and 4,000 tonnes of plastic waste per year just from the new housing. Hmm. Now, that's quite a big number, but it doesn't mean a lot to some people. So then we like to put it into more um, sort of visual type um, examples. And so that's the equivalent of 16 Olympic-sized swimming pools full of plastic waste. Mm. That's quite a lot, especially when you bear in mind that plastic doesn't weigh very much. That's a lot of plastic. Mm. Mm. So it's it's nice to kind of try and break it down into those units because when you say to somebody, oh, we put in 7.4 million tons of CND waste into landfill every year, it doesn't really mean much. It doesn't really mean a lot. It's a big number, um, but it doesn't really mean much. So showing people on site that it doesn't take too much of their time, like you can do this and it's simple and here are the steps. Um Trying to have a bit of a laugh and a joke and and accept and acknowledge that, yeah, okay, we're a bit of a pain on site. We shouldn't really, you know, it's not that they necessarily want us, but they learn to live with us. <laughs> and I think actually the more we've done it, the better we've got and the more uptake we've had. And, you know, the great thing is that in the last few weeks, we've had so many companies approach us and say, can you come onto site and show us how to do it? And that's so <laughs> cool because it's taken years. We've been doing this since about 2012. It's taken <laughs> a lot of years. Why are they asking you to come on site? Because I think actually the word's getting out there that it's doable and it's achievable and it's a great thing to be able to do. And, you know, there's a lot of pride in the construction industry. So I think that the word's out there, okay, ring up ESRC, see if they'll come to site, see what they can do to help. And we're only too happy to. Um, we, just, we just want a really good environmental outcome. That's what we're about. That's what the centre does. Well, I think having you on site would be entertaining, if nothing else, because <laughs> you're such an enthusiast. But, you know, so you've defined the problem. You've got uh, – you're starting to separate on site, and you've now got how many uh, swimming pools? 16. You've got 16, 16. swimming – Olympic-sized swimming pools full of plastic. Terrific. Thank you, Terry ann well, Now what are we going to do? Because that <laughs> plastic is not particularly recyclable. It's going to sit in landfall for, I don't know, how long does plastic last? 5,000 years, 10,000 years? Yeah, a um, What's your solution to these swimming pools full of plastic rubbish? So the solution um, is unfortunately a long-term solution, and it works in two directions. 
Firstly, we go to the very, very front of the issue and we look at the design stage. So we work with architectures and people in architectural research. So we have a researcher, Dr. Ferdinand Oswald at University of Auckland, and he's helping on that side, looking at how can we design out waste right at the beginning. So how mm. can we design things so that they're standard sizes so that we don't have the offcuts and we don't have the materials that are um, a mixture of plastic and metal together, which make them really difficult to recycle when they're mixed right. like that. So those sorts of things he's looking into, which is really useful. Then we move into things like the supply chain. So we've been working with Mitre 10 and talking about, do you really need this particular packaging? What's it there for? What's its use? Can it be replaced? Can it be removed entirely? and working with um, how can we encourage the community to um, actually refuse packaging, to opt out of packaging. So one of the little initiatives working with Mitre 10 was to set up a um, on their online ordering website a little button and that button for all um, orders basically says tick here if you want packaging. And incredibly in a year, 97% of people didn't tick that box. So by actually getting people to opt into packaging, they realized that not many people actually did. Not many people wanted it in the first place. And that was the <laughs> incredible result. Um, so that's been I mean, really it's good. overwhelming, isn't it? I mean, I, I find the whole packaging and you know, I do I'm a sort of an amateur cowboy builder, and I so I I see how much plastic comes with my products. And you mm. think about those. I don't know, a, a tube of no more gaps, for instance, or or jib builder's glue. These are one-use products. They're foiled. They're plastic. They've got um, possibly little bits of co-mingled steel with them. So uh, where would you even begin to work with a product like that, terri when that is probably imported, right, from a, a factory somewhere in Asia designed and developed by someone in Europe or, or the United States? Uh, I've find it overwhelming and I'd, I would love you to inject some of your hope <laughs> into that conversation. I can inject hope, but I can't inject a solution, sadly. So for us, that's probably our number one difficult material. Um, we've got solutions for things like paints, terps, thinners, and, and those sort of pots that have still got remnants in because we can send those back to a company called PaintWise and it's 50 cents per sample and, and mm. they can be recycled, which is fabulous. You're right. Those tubes, those um, those sort of flexible tubes that you've got of fillers and all sorts are, are an absolute nightmare. And at the moment, we don't have a solution. However, what we have found, and this has been the case um, for a number of different products, is that when you actually talk to the manufacturer, if you actually contact them, and I love doing that, I love ringing people up and say, hey, do you take your waste back? Actually, it's not that they're against it. They might not have thought of it, but it doesn't mean they can't. And we've had a few who have said, yeah, sure. Why not? Send it back to us and we'll deal with it. And then, of course, you have to ask the question, well, what are you going to do with it? You're not just going to put it in the bin, are you? Because that doesn't solve it for us. Um, mm. So I am hoping that over time we can have more and more conversations with the actual manufacturer or the supplier and get some solutions in this area. You're right. Anything that's made and it's composite, made of lots of different materials, it's almost impossible for us to do anything with. It's so difficult when it comes back in that condition, especially when it's half full of something. Um, so we are working very hard at that supply end and, and trying to find what we can do at that side. That, that's probably where we get some of our biggest wins for the tricky materials. Um, so yeah, mm. there's hope. Mm. There is hope. <laughs> How did a nice person like you get involved in such a grubby industry? 
<laughs> you know, it's interesting you said that. I've always been in a grubby industry. I started my career um, knee deep in sewage. I, I don't know what it is about dirty stuff that's attracted me, but um, I think it's because I'm a bit of a neat freak, um, but also because and my students will tell you this, that when we talk about environmental issues for the um, civil engineering industry, which is which what I teach, um, I've always said to them, climate change frightens me, but waste terrifies me. Waste terrifies me more than anything else. Um, and I just feel that we just need to start finding solutions and, and not putting things in a bin and, and assuming that it disappears, because sadly, that's what happens. I think you need to explain yourself. Why does waste terrify you? You know, carbon... Uh, sorry, <laughs> climate change is enough of a thing to keep you awake at night. Um, what is it about waste that terrifies you? I say to my students that imagine you had a fish tank and you didn't clean it out and the fish were continually um, sort of disposing of their waste in a fish tank. You know what it would look like over time? And that fish tank is a finite space, just like the earth is. And that's essentially what we're doing, um, burying our waste and leaving it a lot of the time to not really go anywhere I don't think is a long-term or sustainable solution. And our population is growing and growing and growing and the waste mountains are growing and growing. Mm. And I feel that whereas in some industries we've got a handle on this. So, for example, in the wastewater industry, which is where I started my career, we have solutions where we can treat wastewater. And because it's um, a liquid, more or less, we, um, we can find some quite good solutions, some really cool biological and chemical processes to break it down. But mm. because waste is solid, it's a lot harder. So the option really of just burying it is a great way of keeping public safe and that that you know that's that's part of its is designed to keep public safe but it's not a great way of actually doing anything about the waste itself um, I don't know for anyone out there listening, I please advise you to go and watch a, a documentary called Trashed and it's narrated by Jeremy Irons and it shows you the extent of the waste mountains all around the world and the waste issues and the amount of waste that's reaching the ocean and the issues with all the different waste treatment processes. And it's it's absolutely horrifying. And that really, for me, was the thing that made me terrified. Hmm. What's your PhD in? My PhD is actually in um, wastewater treatment, so wastewater engineering. Well, wastewater has actually made leaps and bounds in terms of treatment mm. and the ability now to find um, wealth in, in waste, hasn't it? Because, you know, so Absolutely. much of the uh, outcome of wastewater treatment is either reusable and uh, in parts of the world, actually quite useful. Has that given you uh, a kind of, is, are there lessons that wastewater can teach us about other waste streams? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. And actually, a, a really good link here is that um, the biological treatment in wastewater, um, incredibly effective for breaking down substances. And what we've done is we've taken that idea and we've looked at can we use a biological system to bioremediate asbestos-based wastes. So asbestos fibres in soil, um, a very small amount can be hazardous and will end up in hazardous landfill. And most of the time that landfill will require that it's covered in layers of plastic to keep it safe, to keep public safe. And we're investigating, um, can we use fungi and bacteria to break down asbestos fibres to actually make the fibres less of a carcinogen, so less cancer causing, um, by using um, biology. And there's some really good indications so far that um, there's there's really good chance, there's real hope there. And mm. if we can make something like asbestos safe, 
then that really gives me hope that there's an awful lot of substances out there that can be treated biologically. And, and you know, the waste don't have to be mounting up. We can actually do something with them. We can actually, yeah, find mm, a solution. That, that biological approach is being applied into lots of different areas. I've, yeah. uh, I interviewed a while ago um, Mint Innovation, which is a very cool New Zealand company that is using the biological processes, effectively um, using... Um, bacteria to break down well you could probably explain it better but um, using bacteria to break down metals to extract their elemental forms yes that's right I, i've been to their um their factory there or their lab i should say really it's really impressive what they're doing it's great and again it's great to be targeting some of those really um valuable uh, materials that otherwise are going to be lost and also unfortunately cause real issues when they're um when they end up in in the land, you know, they're, they're not nice materials. Um, mm. So those sorts of solutions, I mean, e-waste is an enormous problem, a huge, huge problem, particularly for countries that are accepting e-waste on their land because they get paid to do that because some countries have got no place to put it. So, you know, there are stockpiles, um, particularly in West Africa is one place where there's a stockpile of e-waste. Um, not really not nice stuff. And I think people forget that when they you know, exchange their phone for the next model that, that that's waste produced. Um, so it's nice to see that some companies are, are, are doing take back on phones and they'll recycle it. That's really great. Um, mm. I think that's really important. So, mm, Lanzatech are, are another New Zealand company now based in the States that are using biological processes to extract carbon dioxide out of industrial waste and turn it into uh, effectively ethanol, I suppose, is the final product. So yeah, biological precision fermentation is a very exciting area, isn't it? Um, I've done a whole podcast just recently on it about um, uh, precision fermentation for protein manufacture you know, as food. Anyway, we're distracted. Carry on with, you know, your journey because, you know, you've started in wastewater. You've you've seen the potential uh, for extracting value out of waste streams and also minimising waste. But uh, your real focus for the group is, is targeting these waste streams that are hard to get rid of, in particular plastic, right? Um, and you've talked about one approach is to minimise the amount that's going in in the first place. There always will be plastic in the waste stream. What practical initiatives are you seeing that can deal with that inevitable pile of um, plastic that ends up in these swimming pools of yours? Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's another really important part of it. So again, on-site management, making sure that those wastes are kept clean and separated as best as possible. We know it's not going to be spotless. Um, then we take those and, for example, we speak to the suppliers and say, would you take this back? What can you do with it? We've had a, a, a fabulous relationship with a company called Marley who will take back PVC piping um, mm -hmm. and they'll take back any pipe. So any pipe offcuts, they'll take those back and then they get recycled into new pipes. I mean, how perfect is that? So that's really useful. Um, as I said before, the building wrap, we have a company that's willing to, to take the building wrap as long as it's in a suitable condition and that can be recycled. Uh, there is a company called Diver NZ um, and they take polystyrene and that polystyrene can be um, uh, sort of compressed at a very low temperature. So doesn't need a lot of energy and then um, extruded into components for commercial buildings. So it's used for things like skirting boards and coving and that sort of thing, sort of decorative areas. So again, it's coming out of the building and it's going back into the building, but it's not going to landfill, which is fabulous. Mm. So I suppose it's finding 
um, good solutions, which are, if you can reuse it, because that doesn't necessarily need the processing. If you can't reuse it, then maybe recycling, which usually has some sort of processing. So unfortunately, some sort of energy requirement, but it's better than nothing. Um, and then at the end of the day, there will be, as you say, the inevitable amount that has to go to landfill. Um, but I assume it's almost a bit of an exponential thing as the closer you get, <laughs> just there's always that little bit you can't quite get there. Um, I'm assuming it's a little bit like that. Um, and there'll always be a small amount and we'll keep getting closer and closer, but it'll always be there. Yeah. We were talking um, before on the podcast about Auckland's commitment to going uh, waste-free by 2040, zero waste by 2040. And the, the role model there is San Francisco. Tell us about what's happening in San Francisco that's so inspiring. Oh, look, I, I'm so inspired by San Francisco. It's just incredible what they're doing. I love the fact that they've actually produced an industry, really. So they have people who are able to go and work in big recycling centres. They're paid. They're paid a good wage. They have regular employment. And the whole city is 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 caught up with this. Let's get all of our waste. Let's all the, all the food waste goes back into great big sort of composting areas so that it doesn't get wasted. It doesn't go to landfill. They recycle all the items of value that can be reused as a resource. Um, so it's just incredible what they're doing there. And the fact that they're saying that they want to be zero waste, um, for me, watching them, it really seems like it could be achievable. Um, sadly, we're a little way off that yet, but I think that mm. there are really great a great, great model for us to learn from. Um, and I love the fact that what it's doing is it, it's actually got everybody involved. You know, it's actually benefiting the whole community. It's incredible. Mm. You seem to wear two hats. You're an, you're an academic and a teacher, and so you've got a role at Unitech. You also are part of this group called the Waste Avengers, which just sounds fantastic. <laughs> you've got a, do you have a cape? <laughs> I, you know that I really want one. <laughs> no, we don't. Um, probably not a good idea around the construction site, but um, yeah, really would love a cape. So this team came together um, because we started to talk about construction waste issues. What could we do? What could we target where we actually saw a meaningful outcome? Because sometimes you can talk in these meetings, but nothing actually really changes. So we took three things that we thought we could tackle Um and we said, let's see if in a year we can make a difference. And those mm. three items um, were heat pumps. I know that's going to sound strange, but lots of heat pumps end up in landfill. Um, plastic waste and timber offcuts. And as a group that was brought together by Mark Roberts, Auckland Council, he brought the group together. So it's a mixture of academics and industrialists and suppliers. We thought, let's focus on those. And um, a lady called Annette Day from Naila Love, fabulous lady, said, oh, I'd like to do plastics with you. So we got together and then we were joined by Simon Burden, who was at MITRE 10, who's now BuildLink, and Julie Roberts, who's at MITRE 10. And we, we got together a team and decided we were going to, we were going to sort out the plastics issue. Um, and we became the Sustainable Waste Events, Sustainable Construction Avengers. Um, and that little team focusing on, is on bringing other people in. So we've got an architect who just joined the group. We're trying to get more and more people involved. We've got somebody from Sustainable Business Network, James. He's come on board as well. Um, the idea being that we're kind of helping each other. So, of course, mm -hmm. someone like Annie has got the on-site experience. I mean, she knows how it works. She knows the limitations of getting people on board with um, waste segregation and recycling. She knows what it's like to work on a crazy hack hectic busy site and things like where do we store the bin how do we make it accessible um 
And then you've got the educators, that's us. So we're the ones that go in and help out. We help with things like signage and training. We take samples. So we sample every plastic that comes in. Um, we use some analysis to actually determine the actual type of plastic it is. And then from there, we can work out, okay, what can we do with it? Is it a type of plastic that's got a real value? So something like polypropylene is actually a, a plastic type that we import from overseas because there's a bit of a shortage. It's actually really valuable. So if we're seeing polypropylene, we're immediately thinking, okay, cool, right. Can we, if this, has this got value? Can we resell this? What can we do mm. with it? Mm. So that side of it's, that's really our role. Um, but I don't think it would ever work as well if it wasn't for the other team players. And being mm. part of that team is, is really important. How does that parlay into your work as an academic, as a researcher and a teacher? Are you able to uh, do original research in this area and come up with kind of new knowledge about how, I don't know, how polypropylene could be recycled or reused? Yeah, and that's actually a really good question. And and you actually have just <laughs> highlighted one of the issues that we have, and that is that our research is very much applied research. Um, and as a consequence, it's really quite hard for us to find funding. And that's because both environmental research hasn't necessarily been well-funded historically and still mm -hmm. isn't really, um, mm -hmm. but also applied research because it it's not necessarily seen as, as really sort of true science academic research, uh, although that's changing and it's great to see that it's changing. And it's good to see that applied research is now being recognised for the worth that it has. And it does because it's providing solutions, um, solutions that we can actually take into industry and demonstrate and get people on board. Mm. So I think it's got a real worth. Um, yes, there are little pockets of work that we're able to combine up with other um, institutions who are keen to get on involved and keen to maybe take on something like that. So what can we do with the polypropylene? Can what can we do with that structure? How can we recycle it? Um, and that sort of level of expertise isn't something we do day to day. But fortunately, we have enough partners that do do that. So we're more about, I suppose, getting some really good data and using our knowledge and the experience we have already got, um, but not necessarily designing new WYSI analytical equipment or instruments because that, mm -hmm. that's really not our mm -hmm. field. Um, mm -hmm. And I think now that value is being seen in that, we're going to be we're going to be doing just fine. Are you in a position to, uh, I don't know, affect the mindset or the culture of builders that are coming through the system so that uh, the next generation come out with a, a much more progressive mindset towards waste? Oh, I really hope to think so. So yeah. my, <laughs> otherwise, why am I doing this? Um, my uh, students actually are um, completing the BEng Tech in civil engineering. So I actually teach the civil engineers. Um, but all of my civil engineers will come out after completing my stream and they will understand environmental issues and they will have practical solutions. They, they'll all know lots about waste and what they can do about waste. And I'm hoping that they'll go onto site and they'll be able to say to their manager, oh, hey, have you thought about this, this, this? Well, there's value in doing this and this is how we do it and go in with that enthusiasm. Mm. And from what I've heard from from the guys that have finished and, and gone on to other things, they're actually doing this. And it's so fantastic to hear that. So many of the students have gone into a role where they're actually really changing um, how environmental issues are considered on site. Um, in terms of things like the trades, we teach environmental um, 
asbestos awareness to the tradies as a sort of compulsory part of their course because we want to raise the awareness so that mm. we're keeping our tradies safe. So that's something that we've initiated at Unitech. Um, and with the construction industry, so one of our partners who's part of the uh, Waste Avengers, Dr. Linda Kessel. Um, she actually teaches in construction. So again, all of these initiatives are passing down to the construction students via her. So I think that the next generation will have that understanding. All we really need to do now is make sure we inspire both some confidence and also, you know, wanting to do it, like seeing mm -hmm. the, the benefits mm -hmm. of it. And we can only do that by but by showing that we care, I think. And by us, us being enthusiastic and, you know, this is really important. Look how cool this is. I think it's quite infectious. What are the drivers of decisions in this area? Is it about cost management? Is it about compliance? Or is it about extracting value out of the waste stream? Have, have you noticed what uh, are the main motivations for interest in, in a kind of waste minimization? Yeah. So I can tell you for a start that it doesn't appear to be financial. At the moment, I don't think the construction sector, except with a few exceptions like Trow, don't really see the waste as having a huge amount of value. Neither mm. is the waste levy that's imposed on um, waste that goes to landfill big enough to really make a big difference. And that will increase. It's going to in increase to, to $30 by 2024 for CND waste. And that's an increase. In some countries around the world, it's a heck of a lot more. Is that really um, an incentive by, by charging people a lot for their waste? I'm not sure. I'm still open-minded about that. But from what we've been seeing from people coming to us, it's actually quite unbelievably all about wanting to do something good for the environment. And some of that's a reputational thing. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm going to be honest about that. You know, people mm. want to be seen to be doing the right thing, but there's a genuine attitude of caring as well about doing the right thing, which is really great to see. Um, so I don't think at the moment it's necessarily the financial side of it. I think it is that they want to do good by the environment and the reputation is important to them. Um, mm. And they're the main drivers, which is why we're really keen on being able to demonstrate that there are financial benefits to actually being able to resell, reuse and recycle their waste. Could your uh, hand be strengthened by better legislation? Uh, you know, if you think about where New Zealand sits compared to other OECD countries, what changes in law or standards would you like to see that would accelerate this journey towards uh, a more, I don't know, a waste minimum, a minimised waste environment? Yeah, look, I, I mean, I would like to see the levy higher than it going to be I think that would be it would be helpful but as I said before it's not everything um, I would like to see a drive towards having some much clearer and much more achievable accreditation for construction companies where they can actually demonstrate that they are operating with an environmental, let's say, conscience for want of a better word. So they're actually doing everything they can to protect the environment and they're demonstrating it. Um, and not something where they're just paying somebody to tick boxes, but where they can demonstrate that they are trying to negate some of the negative impacts that they inevitably have on the environment. I mean, that has to happen for economic growth and we realise that. But it would be really great to see that formalised in some way so mm. that when they are doing great things, People recognise that and people say, I'm going to choose that construction company because look at what they're doing. Isn't that fantastic? That's going to help me with my decision making. Um, and I think that would be a really great way um, of helping mm. them and, and also, yeah, helping us. Is there a connection that you could make 
to something like the Green Building Council, which has you know got its certifications around design and materials and inputs. But what you're saying is not only are those inputs important, but also the way that the houses and the buildings are constructed and the behaviour on site and so on. So is there a connection there between sort of building standards and building behaviours? Yeah, I think there really is. Um, and I think, you know, that sort of idea where you actually – um, you know, get you rewarded your, your stars for how you've built the building and what you've considered. It, it, it's kind of part of the solution. I don't think it's all of it, though. I think some of it about is is, is making it simple for any of the construction sector to demonstrate what they're doing, to demonstrate the changes they're making. And remembering as well that they're, they're not going to be able to make changes in every single area, um, but just be recognised in some way for the changes that they are making. Hmm. You know, I, the, the one issue I have with things where you're being rated on lots of different areas is that um, sometimes it's hard to address all areas at once. So hmm. it would be nice to be able to say, okay, we are going to, we're noting, we're acknowledging in some way, and I don't have the solution, by the way, at the moment, but I'm happy to talk. Um, uh, that we're acknowledging that this is being done and it's fantastic. And we're going to promote that this is an amazing thing to be doing. Um, and maybe then in promoting it, it could be shared with other companies that can take it on board. Hmm. Um, so that's kind of, that's the kind of thing I'd be looking for. Hmm. All right, Terry, and you are standing in 2040 and you're looking back on your career and saying, I've made this fantastic contribution to this incredible industry. What does success look like? Maybe it doesn't have to be 2040. Let's make it sooner. But, you know, what what is, what, what is a successful outcome look like for the sector? I think a successful outcome looks like um, the construction industry being able to sell its waste for the value that it should be sold for and to be able to be making a profit from its waste. So rather than the waste going into a skip and just being sent off to magically disappear, that waste is actually separated on site and the stuff that's valuable gets resold. And so that actually a profit is made from the waste. That for me would be success. To have some companies being able to make profit from their waste and see it um, with having some value would be incredible. I mean, that's what we're looking for with the circular economy, you know, the key being that there's money involved. Um, and yeah, and, and I think I'd like I'd like to see that in all of society. I'd like to see people realizing that when you buy something, buy something knowing that at the end of the day, what happens to it when you don't want it anymore? What, what's its next you know, is it waste that's going to go straight to landfill or can it be used for something else? So that we're thinking about it all the way from the front end when we're designing things. What happens when someone's finished with it? Where does it go next? What happened? Uh, you know, how is it reused or recycled? Um, and also for the consumer, how we buy things, how we purchase things. Um, it will be really great to be able to get that across all sectors. But I think I've got enough on my hands with just the construction sector. So just seeing it working there would be fantastic. I really was hoping that you would say there is Barson Mook. <laughs> no, wrong end of the country, sorry for me. That's the northern no. end. I'm the southern end. <laughs> My English accent's not so great. Jeez, it's, it's lovely talking to you, Terry Ann, and thanks for your enthusiasm and your work. And how do we find you if people want to study with you or engage uh, with the Avengers? 
Okay, so if you want to study, then the Unitech website is where to go. And as I said before, I teach in civil engineering. If you would like to engage with the Avengers, the best thing you can do is send us an email. So we have an email for our own research centre, which is the Environmental Solutions Research Centre, which is ESRC. So if you were to set up, uh, uh, send an email to ESRC, if you just Google us, we'll come up at Unitech. And mm -hmm. there's a website and a connection there. Um, and all messages go to our fabulous administrator Yanina and she will make sure that she connects us up and uh, yeah we'd love to great too easy lovely talking to you Terry Ann this climate business the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us 